Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, sponsored by WebSpy. It's August 9, 2010, and this is episode 254. Last Saturday, on August the 7th, 2010, I gave a full-day seminar at X-Rite in Japan, focusing on the Colored Managed Digital Workflow. Today, I'm going to run through a quick breakdown of the key areas that we touched on to hopefully spark some ideas for your own workflow. Before that, I'd like to thank our sponsors, WebSpy, the Internet Monitoring, Analysis and Reporting Specialists. If you use Twitter to show your support, go to my blog at blog.martinbaileyphotography.com and click on the text link underneath the WebSpy tile to the right. That will automatically tweet the message thanks to at WebSpy for sponsoring the at Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Or you can just type that in yourself if you prefer. To find out more about WebSpy and their products, go to webspy.com MBP and use the discount code MBPWSY for a 10% discount on anything that you buy. We had a great time on Saturday. My main objective was to relay many of the things that I bear in mind when shooting, from pre-capture to all sorts of output methods, including slideshows, web, PDF, and my personal favorite, prints. We also did some hands-on exercises where we all photographed the X-Rite Color Checker Passport and created profiles to apply to images and we ran through a printer-paper combination calibration, again, to create a profile to apply to the, you know, when we're printing, to ensure that we get accurate color throughout the digital workflow. I started by talking about why calibration and color management is important. I've heard it said that it's important to calibrate our monitors because it puts us on a level playing field, and we know that other people will see our images as we expect to see them. This is only true in very limited circumstances though. They basically need to be using exactly the same monitor and profile with all the settings exactly the same, brightness, etc. and viewing their screen under the same ambient lighting conditions that you do. Of course, you know, this doesn't mean that you don't need to calibrate your monitor, far from it. But the main reason is so that you are in full control of your workflow through to output. You need to know that you're starting at the right place so that you can proceed to work on your images with confidence right through to the print. The print, in my opinion, is, one, is the one output format that you can control how people view your images to a pretty high degree. Of course, prints are still affected by the ambient lighting conditions under which the viewer views them, but our eyes often compensate for that better than you might think and you can adjust to certain viewing conditions if necessary. The fact that you have a calibrated monitor will of course help others to see your work as close to your intended finished image as possible, but don't expect your images to be the same on all other monitors. One major theme throughout the day was that I wanted to impress on the participants the importance of making everything that you do as stress-free as possible. 
I turned up for the seminar in my usual shooting clothes. I explained how I buy quick-drying outdoor gear and will sometimes choose a shirt with a collar, if possible, because this stops the camera from the camera strap from chafing your neck, especially when it's hot and sweaty as it is in Tokyo in the summers. I also mentioned that I always wear, uh, I always buy the neoprene uh, or some kind of elasticated camera straps because these help to make the camera feel lighter than the straps that uh, come with the camera. I also always buy straps that have clips to remove the strap easily when you're using a tripod, especially when shooting expo- long exposures because the strap can catch the wind and vibrate the camera. I also showed the group my Black Rapid straps that I use for fast-paced handheld shooting. I use single straps when I only use one body or the double strap when I shoot with two bodies, like when I'm shooting wildlife. I also fit my straps with the Really Right Stuff quick release clamps so that I can quickly change bodies and lenses without having to screw things into the plates. I do use really right stuff plates and L brackets though because they have the screw threads. So if I need them, I can screw the black rapid straps directly into them pretty easily. But I generally try to use the quick release clamps. And remember that I have really right stuff plates on every camera body and lens that I have. Uh, You know, the lenses that have the tripod collars. I always have the Arca Swiss standard really right stuff plates on all of those so everything is interchangeable and very fast to switch between. I spoke about the importance of shooting raw to give yourself the best possible image quality and not so that you can change settings as an afterthought or rely on getting the exposure right after the event. This will always result in lower quality images and I suggest that we all strive to become better photographers and get it right in the field. You only want to be changing exposure in post if you messed up in the field and you have no other choice. Even then, having a raw image instead of a JPEG will give you much more latitude. We talked about some autofocus techniques like using live view to tweak focus and then moved on to a simple studio setup where I set up a graduated grey background and set up some small constant daylight balance lights that are okay for small subject still life work. I'd bought some flowers which we would shoot but before we did that I took the group through the process of shooting the X-Rite Colour Checker Passport grey card which we used to set a custom white balance and then we went on to shoot the Passport's classic target, which we'd used to create our DNG profile, and we included the Colour Enhancement target, which we would also use later to tweak the white balance. This is only for when we want to do that for artistic reasons though, and not to overcome any shortcomings in the process. I also shot the same flowers after putting orange gels over the studio lights and we turned down the lights in the room so that the orange light was the main light source. You can see the difference in the following two images. The first is the first grey card shot with the daylight preset and then the second image is the grey card under the orange light 
shot with the custom white balance that we'd assigned having shot the first great card. Note that I'm switching these images around on the Enhanced Podcast if you're listening in iTunes or on an iPhone or an iPod. But if you go to the blog, the blog post for this um, episode has all of the transcript and it includes the images so you can compare them there as well. The difference in the colour of light is striking and yet we went on to shoot the flowers again under the orange light but with the correct white balance for that light and this is the resulting image. It is correctly balanced and looks exactly the same as the first photo of the flowers that was made with the daylight balanced light source. This image also of course has the DNG profile that we created from our X-Rite Colour Checker Passport shots using the Lightroom plugin that comes with the passports applied. I took the group through how to create their profiles and we then applied them to our images and with the colours in the flowers that I selected you could really see some subtle pinks and the in the carnations and the violet coloured flowers to the right pop as we assign the profile. I wanted to find some bright reds and also some pure blues but um, you know because these really do pop but I couldn't find these coloured flowers. When we assign the profile to the photo of the colour checker passport used to create the profiles though because they contain pure reds and pure blues, again, we could see all of these colours just pop into place. It really is quite impressive to see. I explained to the group that I used to add, uh, in the past, I used to add saturation to my images with a preset that I created years ago to emulate Fujichrome Velvia, which is a heavily saturated slide film that I used back in the day. And I still really like that look. I actually used to apply 25, plus 25 on the blue and green sliders and plus 50 on the red sliders in Lightroom. Then as cameras changed and the raw images got a little punchier right out of the camera, I dropped this down to plus 18 on the blue and green um, channels and plus 25 on the red channel. Now with the X-Rite Color Checker Passport, and, and the, you know, the accompanying software to create my profiles, I find that the colors pop enough and so, you know, they look natural and I, I just don't, I no longer need to adjust my saturation uh, of the images in Lightroom. I just create the profile or use one that I already have from similar lighting conditions and the images look exactly how I want them to. Trying to be as thorough as possible, I gave a brief talk on depth of field, but as it was such a full day, I'm going to be dropping this and a few other subjects from future seminars. Everyone agreed that the day was very useful, but we covered a little too much, so I'm certainly going to be tweaking the contents for next time. This took us to our morning break, where I actually ended up showing the group how I configured my tripod to get down to ground level for macro or ultra low angle photography. They were hungry for all sorts of information so it was a pleasure to be working with them and not having a break didn't bother me or the group at all. After the break, so called, I spoke about customising the ID plate and the, end, the 
panel end marks in Lightroom. And we moved on to some of my most used sheet keyboard shortcuts. I'm not going to go through these here, but I wanted to stress the importance of learning shortcuts for everything that you do regularly on a computer. If you ever watch a professional graphic designer or anyone that spends a lot of time in an application, it's often difficult to even see what they're doing because they make such extensive use of keyboard shortcuts. If you have to reach for the mouse every time you want to make a selection, it can really slow you down. We talked about rating images, not just on the keyboard shortcut side, you know, to help us work, work through lots of images quickly and efficiently, but also the importance of a good edit of your selection. I also mentioned that if you, you want to, you know, that you want to edit differently depending on the type of photographs that you're editing down. For example, for your portfolio, you only want to include your very best, strongest images. Your portfolio is only as good as your worst image. For clients, you don't want to only include images that you personally like. If you have a bunch of images that are technically accurate and artistic, but you just don't like them, you'll do your client a disservice by at least not showing them a selection of these shots, because there may be something in there that really sings to them. Indeed, I often find that the images that my clients are select are the images that I least expect them to. So leave in anything that is technically good and well balanced. Do though remove duplicates. If you have five shots of essentially the same thing, get rid of four of them. Don't make your client or your family members or friends for that matter, look through all of your images. It's your job to make that selection, not theirs. Having explained all about the import dialog and how heavily I rely on presets through my entire Lightroom workflow, we went on to actually import our images of the passport and the flower shots that we'd made earlier. We changed the file name on import as well as deciding on a file uh, organization strategy on the hard drive. And we added our generic keywords all on import so that we don't have to mess around and do that later. My general rule of thumb is do everything as early in the workflow as possible. Everything that you put off for later will take more time to revisit. I even apply a metadata preset that fills out my copyright information and all of my images right there on import. We also discussed collections and sets and organization of images once you have them on the hard drive, after which we went on to actually calibrate our monitors. I went through the process myself and then the group all calibrated their monitors using the X-Rite Color Monkey photo. And that took us to lunchtime. After lunch, now that we had calibrated monitors, a bunch of our own images and the, you know, the photos of the color checker passport on our hard drives, we went on to use the Lightroom plugin that comes with the passport to create a DNG profile. We also created a profile with the desktop utility that also comes with the passport, which you have to use on occasion if the Lightroom plugin can't find the registration marks that it needs to identify the color target in your photo of the passport. On applying the profiles, we could see the color pop in, as I mentioned earlier. And I also showed the group how you can 
use the color enhancement target on the passport to modify the white balance by clicking on the slightly warmer or cooler white balance patches that X-Rite included in the target. This is really useful if you want to warm up or cool down an image after the event. Remember that the passport will give you accurate color balance, but at the end of the day, how you want the image to look is part of your artistic vision, so it's nice to have the tools to modify this quickly, easily and reliably. I also pointed out that once you have your profiles, you can apply them not only in Lightroom, but they also appear in the camera calibration section of Adobe Camera Raw that you use from Bridge or Photoshop. I also mentioned that XRite have now provided a tool called the DNG Profile Manager that can be downloaded after you register your Color Checker Passport and this helps you to manage the profiles on your hard disk, filtering by camera and changing the names etc. We also touched on the importance of backing up your profiles because they're stored on the system drive and would be lost if you reinstalled your computer. We then went through some of the common editing tools that you have in Lightroom, like the dust removal tool, uh, adjustment brush and the graduated filter. And I spoke a little about the histogram and how to use it as a guide, both when shooting and editing images, and how to use the over and under exposure warnings while editing images too. We worked through cropping and rotating images the new lens correction in Lightroom 3 and vignettes. And I showed the group a few tricks to easily reset sliders by double clicking the, the text label of the slider or how you can reset entire groups of sliders by just double clicking on the groups text label. You can also do this by holding the alt key down and single clicking the group label. We did some black and white and duotone conversions in Lightroom and I then cranked up Nick Software's Silver Effects Pro to walk the group through what I did on one of my favorite black and white images. I also demonstrated how to add frames and watermarks to images during the export from Lightroom using the LR Mogrify 2 plugin from Timothy Arms. We walked through how to create slideshows and export them as both a PDF and as a video, which again is new in Lightroom 3 and we looked at the web gallery options which took us to the afternoon break time. After the break we walked through creating a printer profile for your printer and paper combinations using the X-Rite Color Monkey Photo. The great thing about the Color Monkey Photo is that you can use it to calibrate both your monitor and your printer. You can also calibrate projectors with it so it's a very versatile tool especially for the price. If you missed it recently, I actually released a video walking you through the process of calibrating your monitor and printer with the Color Monkey in episode 249, so check that out if you're interested. I also included a section on how to optimize profiles in both the video and the seminar. We then went on to take a look at the Lightroom print module and actually printed out some of our photographs of the flowers that we'd shot. I discussed presets again as I probably use more presets in the print module than any other module. Because of all the combinations of papers and print sizes, as well as the various types of borders. I also showed the group my Excel spreadsheet that I created to calculate the size of my borders 
and the cell sizes that contain the images so that I can ensure that my images occupy the same percentage of the paper in relation to the paper size and the border across all of my fine art prints. We then covered soft proofing in Photoshop CS5 and moved on to the importance of backing up our images both at home, off-site and in the cloud with services like Backblaze and Mosey. This took us to the end of the day and although one guy had to leave as soon as we'd finished to watch some fireworks with his family, we hung back a little while longer and did a little more printing courtesy of X-Rite and discussed the day. All in all, the feedback from the seminar was very positive, um, though I could have cut out a few areas and I fully intend to do that. As my first attempt at this totally homegrown workshop though, I was really pleased with how it went. I hope that it's also been of some use for you today, listening to how the day progressed. Before I wrap up, I would like to publicly thank the folks at X-Rite for loaning the colour management tools and the room in their offices to enable me to deliver this seminar. I really appreciate all of your support and I would especially like to thank AG for not only spending his Saturday with us, but also for helping us on some technical issues that I would not have been able to have answered accurately without his help. So thanks very much, AG. I'd also like to thank the guys that turned up for the seminar and shared their Saturday with me. It was a pleasure to meet those that I'd not met before and to see those that I had met before again. Thanks for your incredible feedback too, especially Marcus who just sent me some of the most valuable feedback that I could have possibly wished for. Also, thanks to Lem Fugit for the photos. There was a couple of photos that I included today that Lem kindly allowed me to use. And also note that Lem has a great website on robots called robots-dreams.com if you're interested in robotics and all things that are related to that. Once again, I was very happy with the day on the whole and just a huge thank you to all of the people that helped to make it happen. I really look forward to doing a tweaked and updated version again in the near future. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening and thanks again to our sponsors WebSpy for sponsoring the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Remember that you can find me on Flickr and Facebook as well as on Twitter and of course my blog and the photography forum. All links are at the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com so drop by and check that out. I'll be back next week with another episode but in the meantime you just have a great week whatever you're doing. Bye bye. Dave Warner, and I'm the host of the LensFlare35.com podcast. Each week I bring you interviews with some of the top photographers using digital SLR cameras. They share some of their coolest tips and tricks, techniques and news about what they're up to, so please take a moment to visit the website or subscribe to LensFlare35 on iTunes. The Martin Bailey Photography Podcast is a proud member of the Photocast Network. Find this and other great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com.